Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Long May Shemaine podcast. I'm Aiden, I'm your host for this podcast. So I hope you guys are doing great. Um, I'm doing pretty good lately, actually. Um, you know, besides from the fact that I like just failed like a French test, but you know, it's fine. I'm I'm gonna do better. It's it's fine. No need to dump all that on you guys. Um, actually, just yesterday, I finally got to go see Eternals, Marvel's Eternals, and you know, I wasn't too sure how I was gonna feel about it because like I don't know anything about the Eternals. Like, I, I I didn't do any research on them prior to going to see the movie like I do with, like, a lot of Marvel properties. Because, like, I didn't want to be spoiled. Like, I wanted to, like, go into this movie completely blind. And, you know, I ended up loving it. Obviously, no spoilers, because that would be very rude. <laughs> I don't want to do that to you guys. But the point is, I loved it. It's very good. Don't listen to critics. Go and see it. Spend your money to go and see that movie, because, damn, it's good. It's definitely in my top five, for sure. Even though, like, I've never, I, you know, I personally never actually ranked the Marvel movies, like, all of them all together. I feel like that would take, like, years for me to figure out because I, like, love them all so much. And I don't think I could ever properly rank them. <laughs> I, you know, I bet some of y'all couldn't either. <laughs> I just love them all so much. I'd never be able to rank them. Point is, I loved it. Uh, Druig is my uh, new favorite crush. Yeah. <laughs> God, what else did I do this week? Oh. <laughs> so I went to a bookstore that's not surprising you guys know I love books and I'm a menace in a bookstore because I will buy everything I see um and I bought this travel guide for Japan and I was so excited to read it but then like in the middle of dinner like two nights ago I was like oh my god I already own a travel guide on Japan <laughs> I checked my bookshelf and I in fact do already own a travel guide of Japan <laughs> So I had to go return the travel guide of Japan and I got my money back, but I was like, well, I, st- I still want new books. So like I browsed around um, the bookstore and I went with my friend Isabella and unfortunately she like left me alone for like five minutes, a whole five minutes. And I had already grabbed a stack of books, but to be fair, it was from the sales section. So like I didn't spend a lot of money. I actually spent less than I spent on the travel guide for three new books you guys might have seen it on my Twitter. I bought a symbology book. I'm really excited about it because, like, I've I've always been like interested in symbology, like ever since like I watched like The Da Vinci Code and National Treasure. So it's really interesting to learn about like all these different symbols because, like, you you don't really know what they mean. Like, you see them all the time. And you're like, oh, I wonder how this got here. I wonder how that got here. You know, cool. <laughs> also, I wanted to let you guys know I'm writing a short story for my English class, and like, hmm. I think it's pretty good so far, and it has to do with history. It's a historical short story. Maybe I'll let you guys read it, because, like, I want to know what other people think about it when I finish it before I, like, hand it in to my teacher. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm getting off track. We should be getting on to who we're talking about today. So today we are talking about Juana of Castile. Uh, You may know her. You may not. I definitely know her. Uh, She is the sister of Catherine of Aragon, who I've talked about on the show before. She's the daughter of Isabel of Castile, who I've 
also talked about on this show before, so I'm really excited to be getting through this family. You know, hopefully, I want to do Isabella of Castile's daughters, like all of them, though I probably won't do her daughter Maria, because her daughter Maria is like kind of like, she's she's boring. She didn't really do anything. You know, she was literally just like the perfect medi- medieval queen, you know, had babies and stuff, you know, <laughs> boring. So, <laughs> um, that's why I'm doing the today, because I want to get through all of Isabella's Castile's daughters, except for Maria, because pfft. now you may know Juana as the mad queen of Castile, who was like crazy and like kept her husband's body <laughs> after he died, which is like super not true. Like she does not deserve the moniker of mad. She kind of gives me um Britney vibes like circa 2005. Uh, Queen's podcast, Katie and Nathan have already like mentioned this like comparison, but like the deeper I got into Juana's story, I'm like, oh my God, she is exactly like Britney circa 2005. Not that I remember that very well because I was like four or three when Britney had her breakdown, but the point is I can see the comparisons. So I hope you guys are excited. I really enjoyed researching Juana because she was just so incredibly fascinating. Uh, Let's get into it. Okay, so Juana of Castile was born on the 6th of November, 1479, in Toledo, the Kingdom of Castile, to Isabella I of Castile and Ferdinand II of Aragon, which, uh, if, as of recording this episode, her birthday was two days ago, so uh, happy birthday, Juana. It's like her 500th birthday or something. Anyway, um, now, of course, her being born on November 6th makes her a Scorpio. And, you know, to be honest, having looked over her whole personality, she fits a little too well <laughs> into this, into like the Scorpio personality of being like, well, crazy. <laughs> I, like I said, I don't really want to call her crazy because she like totally wasn't. Was she mentally ill? Yeah. Crazy? No. Um, but unfortunately the idea of Scorpios being crazy is like kind of like a thing that they're like really known for. Um, and as someone who has known too many Scorpios in their life, I can tell you they're a tough bunch out of all of the signs. And I think we will all see that as we get into one story and why she's known as the Mad Queen. Which, you know, as I've said, is stupid. We shouldn't be calling her that. <laughs> um, now, starting off Juana's story, we've got to talk about her mommy and her daddy. Now, I've already talked about her mother, Isabella, when she got her own episode a while back. You guys can go listen to that if you want. But if you don't want to listen to that, let me tell you about Juana's powerhouse of a mother. Just a quick recap on if you don't know who Isabella Castile was. Now, Juana's mom, Isabella, was never meant to be queen of the Spanish kingdom of Castile. But after some uh, convenient deaths, uh, civil warring, and some civil warring, Isabella was crowned as queen of Castile in her own right, which was a pretty big fucking deal because suddenly she had become the most powerful woman in Europe. Now, additionally, Isabella had her hubby Ferdinand at her side, helping her kick ass and take names. Um, he was from the neighboring kingdom of Aragon, and with their combined territory, they were doing pretty well from the for themselves. I mean, they encompassed pretty much all of modern-day Spain at the time. And they were rich and powerful thanks to uh, kicking various ethnic minorities, like Jews and Muslims, out of their country and seizing property, which, you know, was hella good for their bank account, but, like, not good for non-Christians because they had to leave or be killed. So, boo racism. (laughs) Yeah, it's not the best chapter of Isabella's life 
or just like anything to really look up to. Like I like Isabella Castile a lot because I think she was cool and I like a powerhouse of a woman, but like I'm not going to pretend like she wasn't totally like anti-Semitic or anything. You know, I can't just like pretend, pretend because she did something I didn't like, you know. Now, because of her parents' extreme power, Juana grew up in like the lap of luxury with her siblings, which by the way, I forgot to mention she was uh, kid three out of what would become five kids. Uh, she had her older sister, also named Isabella, who we're going to call Isabella Jr. to avoid confusion. Uh, then there was her older brother, uh, John, or Juan in Spanish, but we're going to call him John instead because I don't want to say Juan and Juana all the time. Because <laughs> that would just be no fun. Um, and then after Juana, she was followed by her little sister Maria, and finally Catalina, or as you may know her, Catherine of Aragon. So these two powerhouse uh, powerhouses of women were sisters, which is really cool. Now, one great thing about Juana's childhood is that her entire family were extremely close. Now, most royal families of this time would, like, send off their kids to be raised somewhere else, like, the minute they were born, like, in order to prepare them for, like, ruling or to be a good wife and stuff like that. But Ferdinand and Isabella were about as, you know, hands-on as royal parents could get. And by that, I mean, Juana would have seen her mom and dad, like, every single day from the time she was born until she was about 16. This family literally traveled everywhere, like, all together. Like, it was like family, they did family road trips, like, all over Spain. <laughs> it was like a caravan. It was kind of cute. And Juana actually knew her siblings, which, you know, doesn't seem like a weird concept to us, but royal families back then, you generally didn't know your siblings. You weren't close to them. Like, it just wasn't a thing. But uh, to be honest, even though she grew up really close to her siblings, she was on the B list of Isabella's kids because she was third in line to the throne. Um, it went her sister Isabella, sorry, <laughs> I messed that up. It was her sister Isabella Jr. and John who were the important ones because they were the two oldest kids. So they were shown off way more than her. Like they were way more important, but she was still a very much loved and respected princess. Like her, her parents like clearly loved her a lot. I think you can see that a lot in how she was raised. Now, despite the fact that her family was super tight knit, I'm not going to pretend her childhood was all sunshines and rainbows because it absolutely was not. Now, when Juana was pretty young, she was noted to have some pretty severe tantrums, which, you know, one might just brush off as, you know, hey, she's a kid. Kids have tantrums all the time. It's no big deal. But in this case, it was like written down by her contemporaries at the time that she had like extremely bad tantrums and I think if like someone was bothering to write that down her tantrums must have been pretty serious like not just like regular kid tantrums but trust me it gets worse now Juana as a little kid started to have some issues with her faith her catholic faith like she still believed in god and such but she wasn't like ride or die catholic <laughs> which was like kind of an issue for her parents because they were literally known as the most Catholic monarchs in Europe. So for Juana to be so meh on Catholicism was kind of a bad look. Now, according to some letters from staff of her father, Ferdinand, Juana was punished as a child for her mediocre faith. Now, apparently, and this is just like speculation, we're not even like 100% sure if this happened. So like, we can't take this as 100% fact, but this is just what I read. Now, Apparently, they would suspend Juana from the ceiling. Yeah, they would bolt her to the ceiling and weigh her ankles down 
as she was strapped to the ceiling while she cried and like a priest was just like repent repent which you know sounds really insane and that's like super bad parenting on the part of Isabel and Ferdinand if that did in fact happen to her which you know we we did we don't know whether or not that actually happened to her but it's just like super not cool like there's got to be a better way to handle your daughter's wavering face than like attaching her to a ceiling like there's gotta there's gotta be a better way to do that you know okay so before we move on into more of her story let's discuss her pretty bomb ass education and what that looked like now juana was like stupidly well educated like she was top-notch educated thanks to her mother's love of education now, Juana's education is, like, literally better than my modern 2021 education. I think that's saying, like, a lot. Like, I'm I'm fairly lucky to have such a good education, but for hers to be better than mine in, like, the, um, in the 15th slash 16th century, that's, that's saying some shit. No, she was taught canon law and civil law, which I, I don't know what that's about. I don't know what canon law and civil law is, but I'm sure it's important. She was also taught genealogy and heraldry, which means, you know, family trees and, like, the symbols of these important families. So, you know, she has to know who people are. Uh, she was taught grammar, history, languages, mathematics, philosophy, reading, spelling, and writing. Uh, not to mention she was allowed to read books from the Christian thinkers of the time and some literature from the Roman Empire, which, you know, cool. Um... She also received uh, education on, you know, like, typically girly things for the time. Uh, she was apparently a very good dancer, and it was said that she really enjoyed horseback riding as well as uh, music. I even read she knew how to play the clavichord, which is like, I didn't know what this was. I had to Google it, which is like this weird piano thing that was like common at the time. Like, it, it's kind of cute. Whatever it was, she knew how to play it, and that made her like pretty unique on among like European princesses. Now as for what Juana looked like, we actually have a lot of great descriptions of her. Um, she inherited the Trastamara's uh, red hair, fair skin, and blue eyes, so that's her mom's side of the family, the Trastamaras, uh, which made her a pretty good catch for an eligible European prince, which was good because the minute she became a teenager, our girl hit the marriage market because she was hot and her parents were powerful. <laughs> Now, when Juana was in her mid-teens, she and her siblings were getting at the perfect age for marriage time, so Daddy Ferdinand and Mommy Isabella started making some political moves. Now, Juana's older sister was engaged to the King of Portugal, and then her younger sister Maria was being considered to become Queen of Scotland, but that never actually ended up happening. Um, and her youngest sister, Catherine, was engaged to the King of England's son, Arthur, and that just left Juana and her brother John left to find marriages for, which, you know, I think it's funny that they left, like, John's marriage, like, last. <laughs> anyway, now, in most of European history, all other kingdoms are trying to screw over France. It's a national pastime. Everyone likes fucking over France in Europe. And Isabel and Ferdinand were no exception to this. So to consolidate power, they did a double marriage alliance with the German Holy Roman Emperor Maximilian. Now, he had two kids, a daughter named Margaret and a son named Philip, who, thanks to the inheritance from his mother, was already Duke of Burgundy at the time. He was only a teenager. So he was a pretty good catch. Now, Juana was going to become Duchess of Burgundy, and um, 
Philip's sister Margaret would come to Spain and become queen, which was pretty great for her. Now, at the time, it seemed like a pretty good idea to create ties between these two countries because, you know, and because they were just trading daughters, the marriage negotiations looked pretty different from normal. Now, Juana's parents and Maximilian came to an agreement that neither girl would be given a dowry, which, you know, makes sense on paper. I mean, they were literally just doing like a daughter swap. Uh, not to mention with no money involved, it makes relations easier because, uh, but remember this like no dowry thing because it ends up biting Juana <laughs> in the ass down the road. Like it's, it sounds great now, but like in about, about uh, five or six years, you, you're going to be like, why the fuck did they do this? <laughs> now in uh, 1496, when Juana was 16, uh, she had a proxy marriage to her new beau, Philip, at the same place where actually her parents had eloped 27 years before this. Now, from there, she was packed on a ship where she said goodbye to her parents and her siblings. And I read that there was a lot of crying um, when when I left. Because remember, this family was so close-knit. Like, they knew each other so well. And, like, it, it was emotional for Isabella to let go of any of her children. So, and also, I... I I read a similar thing happened when uh, Juana's sister, Isabella Jr., left for Portugal. I mean, Portugal, Spain, not very far away, but there were still a lot of tears when uh, Isabella Jr. left for Portugal and um, Burgundy, where Juana's going. It's the modern-day Netherlands, as far as I remember. Um, realistically, not that far, but back then, it might as well have been a world away, so lots of tears. Now, um, now from Castile to uh, Burgundy, which was going to be uh, Juana's new home, it wasn't an easy journey. I mean, bitch almost died, like, several times as her ship was tossed around like a cork in the English Channel. Not to mention she got uh, seasick on the way, and she also had a fever, and people were like, oh, shit, is she going to die on the way? But luckily, she did make it to Burgundy, which, as I mentioned, is modern-day Netherlands, uh, in one piece. And her entrance to the city was uh, pretty sweet. You know, it kind of reminds me of um, if you guys have ever seen the second Narnia movie, Prince Caspian, you know, at the end where they're like entering that like main city where all the Telmarines live and like, they're all like covered in like flowers and like Caspian's wearing a crown. Yeah. That's pretty much what it reminds me of. Anyway, Juana got to wear a dress made of cloth of gold, which was like pretty expensive material at the time. And she rode through the streets with like floral arches all around her, people throwing flowers and like all the crowds in this city, which I can't remember the name of, they were just like, they were pumped to see her. Like, they were like, wow, she's so cool. But there was a problem. Once she got to the castle, because um, her future husband, Philip, he wasn't there. Like, he wasn't at the castle, which, you know, would be mildly alarming to me if I was coming to meet my future husband and he wasn't at the place where they said he was going to be. But uh, at the time, 18-year-old Philip was on business in Germany when she got there. And in, in his defense, journeys in this time period could either be fast or slow. There was no telling when she would have actually gotten there. So he just, like, left to, like, do some stuff and figured, like, oh, he'd get the news that she arrived and he'd come right back. Uh, but in the meantime, while Philip was going to be probably getting the message that Juana had shown up, um, Philip's sister Margaret uh, was at the castle since she hadn't left for Spain to marry John yet. So Margaret kind of took Juana under her wing in, in a way, in a very sisterly way and gave her like the lowdown on Burgundy. Like <laughs> this is like the crash course to surviving in Burgundy. <laughs> 
Now, this ended up being a great bonding experience as they probably would not get to see much of each other once they were both married, even though they were sister-in-law. And I think it's really nice that Juana had someone in her corner in Burgundy since some of the Burgundians didn't like her. Since a lot of the Burgundian court would have preferred a French marriage for Philip over the Spanish alliance, and also, like, Philip was very pro-France as well. Um, but Margaret, was, she was a really cool lady, and I can't wait to do an episode on her one of these days, because she is, she's boss bitch. I love her. Now, so finally, after a while, Philip finally realizes that, hey, maybe I should go back and, like, meet my future wife and something and, like, get married. So he packs up and comes home to Burgundy. Now, before we talk about the first time Philip and Juana met, I want to talk a bit about Juana's new beau. So, Philip is famously known as Philip the Handsome. <laughs> Think on that for a second. But if you looked at his portrait, you wouldn't believe that moniker of Philip the Handsome because, you know, everything I've read about this dude, he was like, he's supposed to be the sexiest man in all of European Christendom at the time. But you look at his portrait. And it just, it just does not match the description. So either he really wasn't that good looking and no one told him, or his portraitist was a really bad painter because, oh my God, he, he looks like, he looks like Lord Farquaad. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, he, <laughs> he looks like Lord Farquaad. Like, I want you guys to Google him right now. Like, do it. Do it. I dare you. Because <laughs> it's just, it's not super... Cool, like he doesn't look like that. Now, no matter the case, Philip was a catch on the marriage market since he was already Duke of Burgundy since his mom had died when he was a little kid. And there was also like a 50-50 chance he could become the Holy Roman Emperor if he got elected after his dad, which, you know, wasn't a guarantee, but like he could still become Holy Roman Emperor, which could be great for him. Um, not to mention he was apparently smart and athletic, so all the good qualities to be a super sexy husband. But he, he was not a great person. So j just wait for like the tables to turn. So Philip finally gets home to Burgundy to meet Juana. And when I tell you it was love at first sight for these two, I mean, it was like the second they met, they were like hot for each other. Like they wanted to get married right away. And according to legend, now we're not sure if this is true, Philip bought off a priest to give him the church's blessing so that they could bone early. <laughs> before they got officially got married a month later which you know I don't know if this is true but based on what I have read about Philip it seems very in character for him to buy off a priest so he could bone his wife early <laughs> now I bet you're thinking oh this sounds so great what could possibly go wrong in this marriage of two people who literally want to fuck each other all the time well <laughs> let me just tell you so it took about a year or so for Juana to get pregnant. And during that year, Juana and Philip had been going pretty hot and heavy. I mean, Juana like clung to every word Philip said. But the minute Philip got her pregnant, he was like, oh, okay, so she's pregnant now. So I can like go back to my mistresses, right? No. <laughs> and this this statement like really shocked Juana to the core because she, he had been such an attentive and good husband up until this point. And it really made her mad that he was just like, oh, I'm going to go back to my mistresses now that you're pregnant. But it got so much worse as time went on. Now, here is where not having a dowry for either girl ends up biting Juana in the ass because without one, she didn't have her own money. And Philip, like, literally wouldn't, like, pick up a penny to spend a dime on her. Like, I mean, he gave her jewels and everything to make it look like she was, like, well taken care of and she was the Duchess of Burgundy. But he would take those jewels back right after she wore them. And in public, I mean, oh, God. He was, like, 
he, he made her look so good, but in private, I mean, the poor girl could hardly pay her staff, but Juana was like, it's okay. You know, when the baby is born, it'll be a boy and he'll love me again, right? It'll be fine. But um, when the baby was born, it was a girl and they named it Eleanor. And normally in this time period, if like the first kid was a girl, the dads would normally be like good sports about it. And they would be like, oh, you know, it'll be a boy next time. Like, don't worry. I love you, babe. But Philip didn't take that approach when his daughter Eleanor was born. Um, instead, he told Juana, and this is like a verbatim quote, you can pay for the girl. I'll pay when it's a son, which, oh, fuck this motherfucker. Oh, my God, he sucks. Oh, my God. What is wrong with this dude? Philip is such a fucking dick. And, you know, this is why Philip is in the burn book, ladies and gentlemen, because he was a fucking asshole. Oh, my God. Okay, I hope you guys are ready for this next part of Juana's life, because it's about to get depressing. But to be fair, her entire life is depressing, so you guys shouldn't be surprised at this point. Anyway, now, not too long after having her first child, tragedy struck her family pretty quickly. Juana's brother John died unexpectedly, either from tuberculosis or having too much sex, but who knows? I explained that more in uh, Isabel of Castile's episode, and I think I explained it a bit more in uh, Catherine of Aragon's episode, but the point is... John's dead. He's like really dead. But the good news was that his wife and also Philip's sister was like six months pregnant at the time. So Juana's mom, Isabella, made it like her life's mission to make sure that Margaret was well taken care of and to make sure that this baby was born in Castile because, you know, it was going to be the heir of Castile if it was born. But it didn't end well. Margaret's baby girl was stillborn. As a result, Margaret was sent back to Burgundy after she recovered from the birth, which must have been so embarrassing for her and so upsetting because Margaret and John, they were so in love. Like, they were ridiculously in love. Like, I remember reading a story about John because he was, he was so religious. He was a really religious kid. And he felt really bad for wanting to have sex with his wife all the time. Like, he literally, he went to a priest once and he was like, I can't stop thinking about my wife. I feel so sinful. This is gross. And the priest was like, oh, no, honey, that's a good thing. <laughs> so he felt, like, really, like, awkward about, like, wanting to bone his wife all the time. So, like, it's really sad that their love story ended this way because John and Margaret, they were just, like, a really good match. Now, even though uh, Philip's sister Margaret came back to Burgundy really upset and embarrassed, uh, Philip, of course, had to be a dick. And at this point, Philip was ecstatic that John had died and started declaring himself the new heir to Castile. And Juana's parents were like, um, no, dude, shut the fuck up. Juana has an older sister named Isabella who is literally married and, like, super pregnant right now. So, like, dude, you have, no like, no chance. So, while Juana was essentially trapped in her own home with her shitty cheating husband, who, by the way, was convincing everyone she was crazy for getting mad at his affairs. This was like the start of her going a little... Um, Isabella Jr. was making her way from Portugal to be declared heir in Castile because she was next in line. And whatever kids she had would also be next in line. Actually, to be honest, if um, Isabella... And her kids had ended up surviving. Uh, there would have been like a whole Iberian Union, which would have been, you know, pretty cool. Um, but it didn't end very well. Isabella Jr. ended up dying, giving birth to her son Miguel, which was very devastating because Isabella Sr. 
loved her daughter Isabella Jr. Like they were like they were like two peas peas in a pod. Like they were so similar in a lot of ways. But at least there was a new heir to the throne, little baby Miguel. Um and you know everyone was happy about that cuz you know Philip <laughs> wasn't going to be involved. But that also didn't end up working out because baby Miguel died before he was even two. Oh, I swear to God, it was like God like punishing them <laughs> or something. Like the one person they didn't want to get on the throne was Philip, and now suddenly they have to recognize Juana and Philip as heirs. <laughs> anyway, now suddenly Ferdinand and Isabella had no choice but to start making preparations for Juana. Now I can't imagine how devastated Juana must have been at the death of her siblings and her nieces and nephews and such like that. I mean, she really loved her siblings, especially John and Isabella, because you know they were the three oldest. They were like the trifecta of older siblings. So like it must have been so devastating for her to lose like the siblings that she was like closest to. And it must have been really emotionally distressing for her to lose both in such a short time, not to mention she was also still having babies, so like extra hormones in addition to losing your siblings in like a few short years. Now, speaking of babies, let's talk about the other baby she had. Now, in 1500, she gave birth to her first son, who she named Charles. I'm sure you've heard of him. We've talked about him a lot on this podcast, and we will continue to talk about him because he was a very big player in the European scene. Now, when she uh, found out she was the new heir to Castile, she was pregnant with her third baby. Now, in order to avoid mistakes like the last two times, Isabel and Ferdinand asked um, Juana to wait till her baby was born before coming home because it was believed that when Juana's sister, Isabella Jr., traveled home so heavily pregnant, she was like, I think she was like eight months pregnant, Isabella Jr. at the time, when she traveled from Portugal to uh, Castile. They believed it was the reason she died because she did such strenuous travel while she was heavily pregnant. So to stay safe, Juana waited till her baby was born in 1501, and it was a girl that they named Isabella. And from there, Juana was forced to leave her three children in her sister-in-law's Margaret's care, which really sucked because Juana loved her children. Like, she wanted to be a mother, but, like, Philip, like, kept on taking away her babies, which really sucked. Um... And now Juana had to head to a place she reasonably thought she would never see again to be declared heir to a throne that she should have never had in the first place. And I'd say right here is probably a good place to stop as of now. Um, to be honest, I didn't expect this to be a two-parter, but like I kind of wanted to, you know, I like dragging out your guys' expectations. <laughs> That's not true. I actually have uh, finals to prepare for. So uh, cutting this story in half and giving me an extra episode really helps me with preparing for my finals. I'm sorry that you guys have to wait for the second part, but you know, if you're really curious, you can always just go Google it. <laughs> you don't have to listen to me for your historical information. Anyway, uh, join me in two weeks to see how Juana handles becoming heir to two kingdoms that she should have never had. Spoiler alert, it doesn't go well. I'll see you guys in two weeks. Love you guys. Bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at LongMasonRain2. The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience. So I would absolutely appreciate it if you guys could do that. All right. uh, Bye.